Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. As we look in the Word of God together, I just believe you can make just as much noise for Jesus as you made for Josiah and that picture. Amen? <laughs> Uh, we're going to start off in the gospel of Mark together. Go to Mark chapter 16. And once you are there, we're going to take a second and just pray. Mark chapter 16. And uh, let's just take a moment and why don't you repeat this after me? Father, I ask you to speak to me today. Open my ears, open my eyes, open my heart to receive your word. Say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. 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 Man, it is good to be here with you this morning. I'm excited about our time together. Um... I always kind of feel a little bad for the 9 o'clock service because I feel like sometimes it takes me a while to get the motor cranked up and going. I think by the end of the 9 o'clock service, the motor is definitely running. And then the 11 o'clock service just gets like the full-on, like the throttle is wide open and they just get like the full force of the fire hose in their face. And I have been accused of spitting on people, so... If you're in the front row, I do apologize. As far back as the second row, apparently. So watch out. The more excited I get, you're like in the splash zone at SeaWorld. Who's been to SeaWorld? The Sham Slam. That's right. Me and Jen went there on a honeymoon a thousand years ago. And it was amazing then. And they had the, 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 the Sham Slam. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. They had everybody put their hands together and start chanting Sham Slam as Shamu jumped out of the water and would splash everybody in the splash zone. We're going to start having Hope City ponchos for the first few rows. (laughs) And as we chant Jesus, it's going to be a good day. I'm excited about today. Today is the day we celebrate Jesus and the empty tomb. That's a big deal for us who follow Jesus, and, and we like to be like Jesus, and we think about Jesus. So go with me. If you're already there, Mark chapter 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation is where we're going to start out of. We're going to read the first eight verses together and then jump over to John's Gospel. And my title today is, What is Your Response? What's Your Response? So as I'm speaking today, I want you to be thinking about this and asking yourself What is my response? And you're probably saying my response to what? And the question is, is what is your response to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? How do you respond to him? Not the person beside you, not your mom or your dad or your grandma or whoever drug you here today. And you're like, I don't want to be at church, but I got to go to church because it's Easter Sunday and my mom wants me to or whatever. I want you to answer this question for yourself. What is your response to Jesus in your life. Got it? All right, so Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb, and on the way they were asking each other, uh, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Because it's so big and it's such a massive rock. Who's going to do this for us? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was really large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting at the right side. The women were shocked. Imagine that. Imagine going to a tomb to go anoint the body of Jesus, showing up, and the door was open. This big stone had been rolled away. You go inside expecting to see a body in there, and instead of seeing a body in there, you see a young man that is an angel sitting there. And the Bible says they were shocked. Hmm. I think that's an understatement. They were shocked. And he says, the angel said in verse 6, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Okay, now hang on a second. Those words alone should get you hooting and hollering, right? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. I told everybody in the 9 o'clock service, I said, did you know that as of right now, there are more than 4,000 different religions and beliefs and groups of faith on the planet that have been, that are in existence. Did you know there's more than 4,000 of them? That's a lot. But did you know that out of those 4,000, only Christianity is the only one that has a Savior that went to the cross that paid a price for them that they could never pay, and then rose from the dead again. Only Christianity. Everybody else either has gods that they serve that exist somewhere else, that never walked the planet as a human, or that they were the people who created these faiths and religion, but they just died. And they're gone. Christianity has the one where their God, their Savior, was so strong that like the book of Acts said, that even death couldn't hold him down. I'm sorry, I just said, I just said, yes, I just said that death, which is the end, you cease to exist like that, it's the end. Death couldn't hold our Savior down. Jesus was stronger than death. Wow. He's like, nah, not today. I'm done. And he got up out of that tomb. Goes on, he says, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before he died. The woman fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. Bewildered is a fancy word for confused. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. So they show up at this tomb expecting. They went and bought spices to anoint Jesus. They show up at the tomb. He's not there. The door is open. There's a man inside that says to them, he ain't here. He's gone. Go back and find the disciples and tell them that Jesus is going to meet them in Galilee. And they were like, what? 
They're confused. They're afraid. They're scared. They're unsure. And so they run off. But before we move to John chapter 20, I want to show you something right here that is super crucial and super important. And it's all about the way the kingdom of God thinks about you and the mistakes that you've made in your life. And I want to tell you right now, this is some super great news for most of us, if not all of us. The angel says right here in verse 7, go and tell his disciples, comma, including Peter, comma, that he's going to meet you in Galilee. Now, it's really interesting that they threw those two words in there, go tell the disciples, don't forget to tell about Peter. Why is that so important? Because Peter had just denied Jesus. Peter had just made a wreck of things. Peter was probably feeling very low. Peter was probably feeling very unqualified, disqualified, like a mess, like he didn't deserve to be part of the crew anymore, like he should go and he's made such a big mess, he needs to go and hide somewhere, like the last three years of his life that even though he followed Jesus, the throttle is wide open right now. You're getting, you're getting full throttle, I'm sorry. That even though he followed Jesus for those three years, in the moment when it counted the most, when he could have served his Savior the most, what does Peter do? He turns his back and denies him not once, not twice, but three times he turns his back on Jesus. Each time more emphatically that he never even knew Jesus. Not even that he didn't serve him, but I don't even know the guy you're talking about, Peter says. And the angel shows up and, he, and, and the kingdom of God works in such a way that the angel said, go tell the disciples and don't you forget to tell Peter as well. Because I I've got plans and purposes for Peter. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how far you think you've gone down the wrong path. Jesus still has a path and a purpose and a plan for your life. And he's still calling out your name. I honestly just had to wipe spit off my mouth. (laughs) John chapter 20, let's go there. What is your response is what we're talking about. John chapter 20, verse 1 of chapter 20 is a one-verse recap of what we just read in Mark chapter 16. And it says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved uses this phrase a lot in the Gospel of John. And every time you read it, you should just know that it's John talking about himself. The one Jesus loved. We won't say his name, but it's the one who Jesus loved. It's John. John's writing about himself, talking about how much Jesus loved him. So she goes and she tells Peter and John, and she says to them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So we're going to begin to look at four different people's responses to the risen Savior. And I think for most of us, we can probably find ourselves 
in one of these four responses. In one of these four ways, they responded to Jesus either showing up or hearing about Jesus being the risen Savior. So she just says, Mary just says in verse 2, they've taken Jesus' body. We can't find them. We don't know where they're at. Verse 3 says, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Peter wasn't here to take his time and get to the tomb with the same time that fat old Peter was getting there. He said, Peter, you're taking too long. I need an answer to this question right now. I'm going to leave you behind. I'm going to run as fast as I can to get to the tomb to find out. Peter was determined. It says he stooped and he looked in and he saw inside, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Finally, Simon shows up in verse six and he arrives and he goes inside and he also noticed that the linen wrappings laying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, geez, John is humble. (laughs) Then the disciple who, who had reached the tomb first, John, uh, went in, it says, he finally went in and he saw and believed. John's response was a response of belief and a response of faith. He heard that Jesus' body was gone and Jesus had been telling them all along, I'm going to go to the cross to die, but I'll rise three days later. Everybody else that followed Jesus around was having a hard time understanding what Jesus was talking about, but not John. And so when John hears that Jesus' body is gone from the tomb, John says to himself, this has got to be it. They haven't taken his body. And he runs, and he outruns Peter, and he leaves fat Peter behind because Peter's out of shape, and he eats too many donuts, and he's taking too long. And so John takes off and runs ahead of him and gets there because he's got to know the answer. And the Bible says that when John shows up, Peter finally gets there. He goes inside, and once Peter has gone inside, John goes in, and when John sees that the body is gone, he believes. He believes because Jesus said it was going to happen. Not because he needed a sign. Not because Jesus had to be sitting there saying, Hey guys, here I am. Remember I told you this was going to happen? Well, it happened. Surprise, I'm here. No, John believed because Jesus said it would happen. And when he showed up and the tomb was empty, John knew that the words Jesus had said had come to pass. John's response was a response of faith. It was a response in belief in who Jesus was, who he said he was. Bible says in verse 10, after they'd seen them, then they went home. James, or, um, John and Peter. Verse 11 says Mary was standing outside the tomb crying as she wept. This is like a terrible cry. It's an ugly cry. It's not a cute cry. It's not a beautiful cry. It's not like, oh, I lost my purse cry. It's not, oh, I'm locked out of my car cry. Oh, my kid bumped their head and I feel so bad for them cry. This is a wailing and a weeping and, and you are undone. This is how Mary is crying outside the tomb. She is undone. And it says, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, they say to her, why are you crying? Dear woman, why are you crying? Seems like an obvious answered question, doesn't it? She's at a tomb. 
There's nobody in there that's supposed to be in there. And she's crying. And he says, these angels say, why are you crying? I just love sometimes the simplicity of the word of God. Why are you crying? More like, where's your faith at? He said this was going to come to pass. Why are you crying about this? This is what he told you was going to happen. She says, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave, and she sees somebody else standing there. And it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Because her eyes were already set on where Jesus should be. In her mind, Jesus was supposed to be wrapped up in the grave clothes. In her mind, she was going to anoint a dead body. So she didn't see Jesus because she wasn't expecting to be Jesus standing there alive and well. Do you expect Jesus to show up in your life alive and well? Or do you expect Jesus to be wrapped in grave clothes? Thank you, Christina. (laughs) Dear woman, he says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Jesus. Jesus. He knows the answer. He knows exactly what she's doing there. Just wants to hear her say it. She thought he was the gardener. This is the greatest undercover boss episode ever. (laughs) Right here. Oh, I'm just out here mowing the lawn. (laughs) Seeing how my employees do. She thought he was the gardener. Jesus probably had like a fake mustache on and one of those hats and coveralls. She said to him, as you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll go get him. Verse 16, Jesus says, Mary. Dear woman, what are you looking for? They've taken him away the body. I don't know where he's at. Can you tell me where where they've put him, what they've done to him? She's broken. She's weeping. She's lost. She's afraid. She's confused. She's scared. And when Jesus utters her name, look what happens. Mary, at at the mention of her name by Jesus, she turns and cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. He says, don't cling to me. So that means that Mary, Matthew tells us that Mary bends down, grabs onto his feet, and begins to worship the Lord. Mary's response to the risen Savior is a response of worship and adoration. Jesus shows up, calls her name, says her name directly, Mary. Not just like, hey you, hey guy, what's up dude, bro, what's going on? No, Jesus calls her name and she turns around and at the mention of her name, she falls to her feet and begins to worship the risen Savior. Is this your response? Is your response a response of worship to the risen Savior? Is your response to the risen Savior adoration and worship? And let me fall down at your knees and worship you because you are the King of Kings, because you are the one you're supposed to be laying in that grave dead, but you are alive now. Is your response one down here? Or is your response one up here with your arms folded and crossed staring at him? Mary falls down, begins to worship the Lord. He says, hey, hey, you need to get off of me. He said, I haven't gone to heaven yet. He says, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to the Father. And here is a great side note that you should probably highlight and underline and circle some of these words in your Bible because Jesus says, go find my brothers. Notice how he uses the word brothers for the disciples and tell them I'm ascending to my Father. But he doesn't stop there. He says, 
and to your Father, and I'm going to my God and to your God. When Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, he grafted us into his family. So no longer is it, I'm just going to go see my dad. It's, I'm going to go see our dad. Not, I'm going to go see my God. It's, I'm going to go see our God because you're in my family now. Because of the work that I just accomplished on the cross for you. Mary Magdalene, she goes and finds the disciples and tells them that she's seen the Lord. And she gives them the message. Verse 19 to 23 is, I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to go fast here. 19 and 23, Jesus shows up in the midst. They're all together in a room with the door closed. They're afraid of people that are looking for them. Jewish guys that are afraid they're going to come and hunt them down. So they're in this room with the door closed. And in the middle of this room, with the door closed, suddenly the Bible says Jesus shows up in their midst and he begins to talk to them. And then in verse 24, we see one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, wasn't there when Jesus came. And they told him about it and they said, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas's response is this. He says, I, but, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and take my hands into the wounds in his side. The response of Thomas is one of doubt. They all said, hey, man, you picked a really bad time to go to the bathroom. Because when you were gone, man, Jesus showed up. And instead of Thomas saying, what? I miss Jesus. He was here. Thomas says, nah, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He says, I don't believe it. And I won't believe it's him until I can go and stick my finger through the hole in his hand. And that's not good enough. After that, I want to stick my hand in the hole in his side. Because when I do that, when I can feel it with my hand, then I will know that the risen Savior is risen indeed. And here he is. Is your response to the risen Savior one of doubt? Do you say to yourself, I won't believe unless I can touch him myself, if I can see him myself? I will only believe in him if he shows up and does this, that, or the other? That's what Thomas's response was. And the Bible says this. Look at this. It says in verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And he says, peace be with you, which is obviously the first thing you would say. If somebody showed up in your midst that wasn't there when you walked in the door, and suddenly they're there with you, you'd be a little freaked out. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, peace be with you. I'm here. I didn't walk in the door with you. I just, I used my own entrance. I like to make a, I like to make an entrance. You know, I like to make myself known. He says, peace be with you. He says to Thomas, singles Thomas out, and he says to him, hey, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. He says, don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Then he goes on, and Thomas says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You believe in me because you saw me. You believe in me because you stuck your finger, your dirty little finger. You had to stick it in the hole of my hand. 
And you said you wouldn't believe until you could do that. And so you finally got to do it. You finally got to meet me on your terms, and now you believe. But he said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas's response was one of doubt. But whose was a response of faith? Whose was a response of belief? Who was the one who believed when they showed up at the tomb and Jesus wasn't in there? And the Bible says they believed. John. Is your response to him like Thomas or is it more like John? How do you respond to the risen Savior in your life? Do you show up at that tomb and say, nah, he's not here. Somebody took his body. Nah, he's not here. And I won't believe he's here until I can touch him for myself. Or do you show up at that tomb and say, man, Jesus isn't here. That means he's alive. Because he said he was coming back from the grave. He said that he'd be dead and gone and he would rise again. That he would conquer death and hell. And here it is. The tomb is empty. His clothes that we buried him are sitting here all by themselves. So that must mean that what he said has come to pass, has come to pass. And I believe Jesus because the Bible says he's not a man. God is not a man that he should lie. There's one more kind of response we're going to look at in our last few minutes together. Chapter 21, this is probably my favorite response because it's a little over the top. And we would expect nothing less than over the top from our friend Peter, would we? Peter, out of all the disciples, was the most over the top follower in the bunch of Jesus cutting off people's ears, trying to walk on water. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Denies him three times. Peter was the one that was always, what'd you say? (laughs) John chapter 21 says later, now listen, everything in chapter 20, all these appearances of Jesus have taken place in Jerusalem or in the Jerusalem area. But now suddenly, verse 21 says, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. They've left Jerusalem, and now they're back in Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. This isn't just like, guys, I'm going to go fishing, like I'm tired, we need something to eat, I'm going to go fishing. What this is, is Simon saying, I'm going back to my old life. They've gone back to Galilee, which is where Jesus found them and called them in the beginning. They were fishermen then in Galilee. That's where Jesus found them. And now we find them at the end of the story and they are back in Galilee. And Simon says, I'm going fishing. What he's really saying is, is I've made such a mess of all of this stuff. I have, I have, I have let the Lord down. I have turned my back on these things. I've disowned him. I've, I've, I've said I didn't even know him. And I feel so disqualified and unworthy and, and I shouldn't be here. And so what am I going to do? My response is I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to who I was before I met Jesus. When Jesus found me, this is who I was. I'm going back. That's what Peter says. When I'm going fishing, it's not just let's go down to the Vetter River and catch some fish. Jesus is saying, or Simon's saying, I'm going back to my old life. 
They all say, we're going to come too, man. Sounds good. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. You know, and I just love how gracious and kind the Lord is to us. Because verse 4, listen, tell you what. If it was me and, and all of my followers had left me, even though I repeatedly told them again and again and again and again and again and again and again who I was and what I was here to do and what they could expect. And when it all finally happened, they all left and said, I'm going back to my old way of life. I think if it was me, I'd be like, I'm going to find new people. I have walked around with these guys for three years, listened to them complain, missed the point of everything I said. I kept telling them over and over again, and they still kept missing the point of all the things I was saying. I had to break down all my parables for these guys because they didn't even understand the parables that I was talking about. I'm going to go find. And after all that, they leave me and go back to fish. I'm going to find new people. That's what I think I would do. But not Jesus. Verse 4 says, Jesus shows up standing on the beach. He's gone back to where he found them in the beginning, back to where he called them to be fishers of men. He said, I know exactly where these boys have gone. And so instead of leaving them behind and finding new people, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, goes and finds these guys back on the beach and shows up there waiting for them. Verse 4 says, he was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. And he calls out and says, uh, hey, fellows, have you caught any fish out there tonight? How's the fishing, boys? Anybody catch any? Anybody biting? Huh? Got any fish? I, listen, it, it may just be me, but I would be furious. I would probably walk on the water out to them just to chastise them. I can't believe you. After all we've been through together, you're out here fishing again? Don't you know it? I just I grab him by the ear and pull him back to shore. <laughs> Jesus' response is to show up on the shore and walk in love and kindness. Hey, guys, caught anything out there? How's the fishing? <laughs> no, they haven't caught anything, they said. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you try throwing out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and then you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved says to Peter, he probably, this conversation probably went like this. This seems oddly familiar to me. I feel like we've been in a situation before, Peter, where somebody told us to take our boats out and let our nets down, and when we did, we caught a ton of fish. I, I, do you remember this? Like, it was like a couple years ago, and we did this. Peter's like, yeah, I do remember that. And, and John says, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. And you see right here, as soon as John says, it's the Lord, he said, the disciple Jesus loves says to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on, everybody say on. He put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. And he put on his tunic, and he jumps into the water, headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only like a hundred yards out. Peter's response 
is a response of total surrender and absolute leaving the past behind and saying, this is no longer for me. Why would you put on your coat to jump into the water? You probably, you all look like really smart people. I'm looking at you all right now, and yes, you look highly intelligent. So you probably all know that when you go swimming, you take off your clothes and then jump in the water. Because you also know that if you try to swim wearing shoes and a jacket and like your hoodie, you would probably drown because the water, your clothes get so filled up with water, it makes it almost impossible to swim. But we see here that that's exactly what Simon Peter does. He says to himself, that's the Lord on the shore, and I got to get out of here, and I got to get back to him, and I can't waste one more second. So he says, give me that jacket because I need it, and I'm never coming back to this boat again. I'm never going back to fishing again. I'm leaving this behind. And he puts on his jacket and jumps in the water and swims to shore. Peter's response is a response of absolute surrender and of leaving the past behind. Maybe Peter thought he was going to walk to shore on the water. Maybe he thought to himself, this is my moment. It's going to happen this time. I'm going to make it all the way back to shore. I did it one time. We don't know how far he got. Maybe he's saying, I'm going to go for it. There's Jesus giving my coat. And he stepped over the side of the boat and just down he went. But that didn't stop him. He didn't turn around and come back to the boat. The Bible says that he just kept going, making for the shore. Because in his life, he was saying, I am completely surrendered. Here is the risen Christ showing up, calling out to me just the way he did at the beginning. And I, in all of my betrayal, in all of my forgetting him, in all of turning my back on him, he still has showed up again in the same place, calling out to me. And so I've got to surrender all I've got to him and get back over to him as quick as I can. So he puts on his coat, dives in the water, and makes his way to the shore. Stand up with me. What is your response to Jesus today? Is your response a response of Doubt, uncertainty. I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless he, unless he meets these requirements in my life. I've got to see him. I've got to put my hands in the holes in his hand and touch the wound in his side. Or he's got to do this in my life. Before I'll give my life to Jesus, he's got to do this for me. Or is your response... A response like Mary's of adoration and worship and devotion where you fall down and worship him at his feet. Is your response to Jesus a response of faith where you run to the tomb and just because Jesus said it, you believe that what he says is the truth? Or maybe your response to Jesus today needs to be a response of surrender. I believe human nature, I believe this story about Peter isn't just particular to Peter. I believe the reality is 
that many of us live our life the same way that Peter did. And when things don't turn out the way that we thought they were going to turn out, or they don't look exactly like we thought Jesus was going to do them, that we turn around and we run back to the past. We run back to who we were before we met Jesus, before he encountered us and changed and transformed our life. That doesn't always mean in a bad way and you're going back and gunslinging and you're a gangster again, but it means that you do slip back into old habits and old patterns and you step into old areas of your life that you had once surrendered to Jesus. It's human nature. But I believe today that many of us here need to have a Peter-like moment where we put on, put on our jackets and jump into the water and begin to swim to shore to meet Jesus, leaving our past behind once and for all. Putting that coat on and jumping into the water was Peter closing the door on his past and saying, I'm never going back here again. I want you to close your eyes with me. And I want to take a moment, and if you're in this place today, and you say, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've been running, I've been running, and I've been running but I've never surrendered my life to Jesus and I've never made him my Lord and my Savior. My response to him has never been one of surrendered. I've always tried to do things in my own strength. But you're saying today as I'm speaking that God is calling your name like he was calling Mary's in the garden, that he is speaking to you and you say today is the day I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I want you to put up your hand and we're gonna pray together. Or if you're in this place and you, you did surrender your life at one time, but you've walked away and you're not surrendered in your life the way that you know you should be. That you've gone back to your past and you've gone back and you're kind of a part-time fisherman now. Kind of a part-time Jesus follower. Kind of a part-time fisherman. You're trying to work it all out. But God's calling you today and saying, I want you to leave all that past behind and I want you to walk in surrender to me. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. If you're one of those two things, I want you to raise your hands. We're going to pray. I see that hand. Come on, now's the time. I see those hands. I see them. Nobody's looking around. This is your chance. This is your time to surrender your life. Jesus gave it all for you. This is what Easter weekend is about. He paid the price for you. Come on. Let me see those hands. Let me see them. I 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 see them. Now is a day of surrender. Today is a day of surrender. It doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean you're walking in sin. It just means that maybe you haven't been walking in the fullness that God has for you. And what you're saying is, is I need to re-surrender my life to Him. I need to put that jacket back on and jump in the water and leave these things behind once and for all. 10 seconds left before we pray. Now's your chance. Now's your chance. Now is the time. All right. With all those eyes closed, we're going to pray together. And I want everybody to pray with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, we're all going to pray this prayer together. Jesus, I come to you today and I surrender my life 
to you. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fishing. I want to put on my coat and then jump into the water because I'm surrendering all to you. Jesus, I say, have your way in my life. Do what you want. Say what you want. Take me where you want. My life is yours to lead and to guide and I will follow. Jesus, I love you. And I'm so thankful for all you've done and all you continue to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.